Welcome to the 21st episode of the Sand Dune Podcast. Today we drink and play blackjack because it's our 21st episode. It's uh, season two, episode nine. We are your hosts, Hans and Frank. And if you'd like to join the conversation, send us your tweets, Sand Dune Podcast, or email us at talk at Sand Dune. Welcome, Frank. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Hans? Good. Uh, we've got a new mic set up. We will not spend the next 20 minutes talking about, and instead, uh, hopefully, it'll sound a little bit better than what we Yeah, it's an experiment to be sure. So we'll see how much better it sounds, and we'll probably be making edits for weeks trying to figure out how these things work. That's right. We're also going to switch the format up just a little bit. We have been doing our podcast pretty much every week now, and we think that maybe it's better to do it a little bit less frequently, but then to intersperse it with some Twitter spaces. So for those of you who don't know what that is, if you are on Twitter and there's a new feature called Spaces, and it allows you to listen to folks live and participate online discussions. So theoretically, when we are in a week where we're not doing a podcast, what we'll do is that we'll have a time and date where we'll jump up on Twitter and then people can join us and ask us questions. And we'll typically end up using that episode, or I won't call it an episode, but that time for discussing what we'll talk about on the next podcast. That's pretty much the idea. Yeah, that's exactly it. We definitely want to hear from as many people as possible, get some ideas, hear the hard questions, hear the hot takes, you know, things we may not have thought of, because we definitely want to go on air in the podcast with our best material. So we're trying to crowdsource that a little bit. And I think Spaces is probably the perfect place for that. So jump on Twitter if you don't have an account already, and then jump over to Sandune Podcast and sign up and follow us and we'll do an announcement. And theoretically, even if you're not online at the time, you'll know about when we do the podcast. We probably won't record those. We'll have to see, but at least... Uh, if people want to join us live, there'll be an option for that. And otherwise, we'll do the podcast every two weeks and you'll be scheduled podcast. So then, Frank, uh, what's our episode today? This week, we're uh, discussing the distressing events in Ukraine. We're trying to look at it through a lens of our ordinary topic, which is transparency. But there's so many super interesting things about this situation that we definitely want to try to cover. Right, because I mean, Ukraine has really been on our mind quite a bit. It's certainly one of the more impactful things to have happened uh, in the West in the past uh, 30, 40 years, I'd say. Yeah, and I think people aren't really, it's starting to catch up with them now that this is, this is really a lot closer to home than a lot of the other conflicts that have gone on around the world that, you know, were no less vicious. Um, I myself have had engineers, this was years ago, who have worked in the area, worked in Ukraine, and actually also worked in Russia and worked on the same teams, right? This, this, this was a surprise because it was suddenly like, these were neighbors and they seemed to be sovereign. And suddenly now the world knows that there's an enormous problem going on. And I think it's starting to sink in and it's making feel, people feel very uneasy because this yeah. is not something that's supposed to be happening in the sphere of Europe. Right. And with the overarching threat of nuclear weapons being exchanged among superpowers is a frightening belief. So how are we going to tackle this episode? Because, you know, we're certainly not a military podcast. We're not a 
international relations podcast either. So what, what, what how did, what's the angle that we want to take here? I think one of the things that we wanted to kind of draw out of our discussion was transparency and in information warfare, or for a better term, lack of transparency in the conduct of warfare. We have been talking about transparency in the conduct of business, in the conduct of technology, of developing products, of human resources, but very much in the economic realm. And now we're talking about a military realm, a conflict realm. And at least my particular feeling is that transparency doesn't exist in a war zone, that information is more or less all out there, at least the information that we see as spectators has all been engineered in one way or another to garner a particular result among some constituency sitting outside the war. And I think that's the thing right now. People are calling this the first TikTok war, or to some extent, the war that's playing out very strongly on social media. Yeah, I think a newspaper coined the term war talk. I'm not sure which one it was. Probably one of the tabloids, but it's definitely everywhere you go, you know, you can go to any of the social media outlets and find all kinds of, you know, heartbreaking things. And then you can find random things like the woman who's teaching people how to start up and drive abandoned Russian military equipment step-by-step, step, like it's a, you know, YouTube instructional video. So yeah, that was there, there's, there's one. bizarre angles to this too. And we're not trying to make light of it, but I think you don't get things like this in the past. This is this is something entirely new we're watching. Yeah, I, I mean, I even, I will have to say, I participated in it so far, and it was kind of an odd experience, is that I posted a picture that my girlfriend had taken of a bridge here in Sonoma County. And for those of you who don't know, Sonoma County has a river that runs through it, the Russian River. So there was a picture of this bridge and the folks in Healdsburg had set up lights to project the colors of the Ukrainian flag onto the bridge. And so this Ukrainian flag bridge was spanning the Russian River, I something I posted. And what was kind of surprising to me is I had a friend who retweeted it, and he has a lot more Twitter follows than I do. And he commented that this was the best trolling of a bridge on Twitter ever. And what happened then was within a couple of hours, there were just hundreds of likes and retweets. And it's actually the first time I'd experienced something like that before. And, you know, it, it has no consequence other than say that a bunch of people said, hey, this is interesting. But I, you know, certainly in that sense have participated now in the social media aspect of Oh, you went viral and you didn't get ratioed. So that's good. Yeah, that's that's right. So let's go back to this question that is this transparency or are we just watching information? I think we're watching unfiltered content. And I think a lot of the content being released is necessarily trying to make things look a certain way. A lot of this is amateurs just, you know, uploading film and all kinds of other stuff. But you frequently also find footage inserted into it that doesn't belong from this conflict, right? And it's kind of actually easy to prove the markings are wrong or the foliage is wrong or the uniforms are wrong. So you hear about and see those types of things pretty frequently. So that means people are also trying to manipulate the, the reaction 
to these things going up online. But I think it's a lot of it's meant to portray a certain, you have to take this with a grain of salt because when it turns into a life and death situation, I think people do tend to embellish upon the situation in a way that helps them the best. I think it's human nature. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the one thing that needs to be pointed out right at the start is we're unconditionally, obviously, against this war. What we're trying to really think about is when we see things online that are being communicated out, where is that coming from and how do you have to look at it? So we, well, Frank, what's your take on is is what we're seeing transparency or does it have any place in a kind of coverage of a war conflict? Oh, it depends what you look at. You're having so much content pouring out sideways that you can look at some of the news media and they're they're presenting things in a semi-transparent fashion. But there's a lot of stuff coming out from what's left of the Ukrainian government. There's stuff, there's not actually so much stuff coming out from Russia, which you you kind of expect. Russia's all about keeping their own people in line and doing whatever it is that Putin was thinking to drive this outrage. I mean, this is just an absolutely, if you step back and look at it, it's an utterly insane act. And even more insane, I think, than the international community first reacted to it as, even even with the crazy sanctions and everything. It's just, it, it's mind boggling if you just step back and think about it. Well, that's why so many pundits totally caught off guard by it. Well, that's because they had written Putin off as a guy who just bluffs his way into what he wants. And literally every single one of them, including like the super hardcore anti-Euro crowd who were thought they knew Putin really well. They all said, he'll never invade, he'll never invade, he'll never invade. In fact, I was reading one who was busy doing a thread on it in Twitter while the invasion was starting, yeah. which he had to delete. Yeah, so th- this this does feel different to me. I, I don't know what it is. I mean, I, I saw the first Gulf War on CNN when I was in college certainly was dramatic to see a war really in that sense the first time and the but somehow what we're the way it's being the information is being conveyed now feels different i'll give you just a couple examples and maybe we can kind of discuss what what that really means so i do follow a former f-14 pilot named ward carroll and he does some really interesting shows about you know what it's like to have been a tomcat pilot and flying off aircraft carriers on but one of the neat things now is he actually talks a little bit about the current events and what's going on and they had a show about you know what it does it take to do a no-fly zone from a from a tactical standpoint and he invited a researcher a research fellow from the royal united states institute called justin bronk to be on his show and they talked about how do you go about setting up a no-fly zone? He discussed some things about you know what's going on in, in the conflict right now. And what what's interesting here is that not that this is information and I'm just looking at information. It's just that I'm not watching CNN. I'm watching some YouTube guy who started a channel, has up to 100,000 viewers now, um, is definitely not Fox News or CNN. I'm getting a lot of my information from him uh, and reading online articles, you know, about, you know, from people, in one, one case, he was this Thomas Ricks guy, and he wrote a story about the logistics of the, the war and how that's really the thing 
holding the Russians back from to exercise this this war. And so it's odd to be experiencing this war through this lens of social media. And I'm certainly glad I'm not experiencing it on the ground, of course, and where the real strategy is, but experiencing it through social media feels different than having even a CNN.com channel stream on the internet. I don't know. How, how has it been for you? Like, I mean, you're, you're watching it and your wife watches it and what, what's, what's the difference? Oh, by the way, I am like the worst doom scroller on earth. <laughs> I, I honestly... I thought it was fascinating in 2020 that I spent a week not sleeping every night watching 39 cities burn live um, during all the protests in the US. And um, it's the same thing here. You can just doom scroll all day and night, although there's a little bit less content. And uh, I think part of it is, there's a few things here for me, at least. Part of it is, it's a, these are state actors pulling this off. Because, you know, if you think of social media, actually, you know, a lot of your terrorist groups were actually very savvy users of social media for recruiting and whatnot, but they weren't state sponsored in the same way or the state itself in the same way as Russia is attacking Ukraine. So it's interesting to see that instead of the belligerents being the ones publishing all of this stuff, it's the people on the ground who are publishing this stuff, which I, I find to be super interesting. And another one, though, is that there's an awful lot of people in Ukraine who know who grew up knowing nothing but a democratic republic. So we grew up, you and I grew up knowing about Eastern Europe, knowing about the Iron Curtain, understanding that allegedly you, if you could get into East Berlin, you could buy a car for a pair of jeans. Um, I'm not sure if that's apocryphal or not, but just how bad stuff was there and just how different it was. But there's a whole generation of people grew up in Ukraine who don't know that. They know a democratic republic. The other thing I think is for, I don't know, probably it's probably less than half the population, but the younger part of the population, the millennials and, and Gen Z, didn't grow up with the threat of nuclear annihilation hanging over their heads. I mean, it's always technically been there, but it hasn't been a big deal since, since the mid-90s. We grew up watching like threads in the day after and getting scared absolutely crapless about, you know, everyone's going to get, you know, nuked tomorrow. Yeah, we were we were not quite hiding under our, our, our desks at school, but it definitely was a huge piece. And just to some extent, also the whole AIDS epidemic, right? Those were the, like, the, the things about the Cold War, AIDS epidemic. And then not until after the 90s, uh, then 9-11, which that's been the defining characteristic for that generation. Things change. It's just, I think, and things are cyclical. So now we're back to fearing partitioning of Europe and fearing nuclear confrontation. Although in this particular case, back in the 80s, people were building giant bombs. And they had, I don't know, I think the stockpiles each we're over 35, 40,000 weapons. Right now, they're down to a, a small percentage of that. And most of them are tactical weapons that are meant to be used on you know, the battlefield for just blowing up a, a battalion or something. So the nature of it's different. It's just the fear that it would escalate out of control is still there. And it's new for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, the other piece of it that I'm thinking about, during the Gulf War, at least the first one, there were all these pictures of these smart bombs hitting building. And we all knew that 
there was more than that, right? We all knew that there were planes like B-52s flying over roads in Iraq, dropping conventional bombs, and and there were columns of you know trucks that were the, theoretically the Iraq Iraqi military, and they were you know getting decimated. Like we knew that this one is super different. And I'm not sure if the video that came out and when the the wars in the Balkans and the war like Georgia and and um, the what what's the country I'm thinking of? Chechnya. Chechnya, right? So I'm thinking of maybe Georgia or Chechnya, and some videos came out of that war as well. But Ukraine certainly is a different beast in in the way how close it is to so you know just watching like these youtube videos of ukrainian armor blowing up russian armor and then having that be theoretically very quickly sent out to the west and then experiencing that uh, without the extra nuance that gets applied by journalists from international organizations i think also makes a bit of a difference in how we experience it yeah, there's always um, some concern in journalistic circles that all stories get covered that impact, you know, freedom and conflict around the world. I mean, a lot of, as we said earlier, a lot of outlets are calling this the first TikTok war. But even even in the time of TikTok, it's not the first conflict to be broadcast on TikTok. It's probably the closest one to the West, though. This was a Western country, and this was closer to the interests of you know, your mainline users of social media. So I think it feels like it's more novel, but yeah, it also is a bit different. Right. And in, in a way, this war could be looked at very similar to Afghanistan. It, when the Russians invaded Afghanistan and the U.S. started supplying Afghanistan, you know, anti-helicopter and anti-tank weapons, that's kind of the way the West is handling this right now. But it also feels a lot different for someone, you know, being in the well, so, as long as we don't make a James Bond movie about the resistance, which will age poorly. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, well, that's pretty heavy uh, that we did today. I guess we could wrap up with the silly things that are being talked about in as a result of this conflict. And uh, that involves the yachts and the airplanes that are being caught up in this whole situation. Uh, I don't know about you, but I find it comical because it's so not important i i agree well at least the yachts the the, the planes are a different thing because it's actually actually an investment by companies who are never going to get their planes back from russia so there's a little right. bit of a you know downside there but yeah the yacht stuff is absolutely hilarious yeah and then of course there are some yachts though that are still like being built that now you know the russians had like said, oh, let's build this customized yacht. And now it's like half done and they can't pay for it. So now they're like auctioning off those boats to other people who want yachts. And I've, I keep thinking like, okay, let's say I was one of these Western billionaires and I wanted to buy a boat. I'm not entirely sure I'd want to buy a former Russian oligarch boat because maybe he's going to want it back. It's possible, but you know, a lot of these guys have also kind of denounced everything and left. And the sanctions didn't stop them from taking the bulk of their money because the bulk of their money was already out of reach. But a couple of them had like renounced their Russian citizenship and said, oh, screw this. These guys are terrible. 
They're awful. Yeah. They're evil. You shouldn't support them. And he's doing this from the bridge of his yacht or maybe from the bridge of his, his yacht's support yacht. Because remember, when you have a yacht big enough, you need another one to tend to the large one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the kind of interesting thing as, as this all plays out in international relations is that in some ways in the past 20 or so years, it seems like the nation states and the international institutions have become less important. But I think this conflict is actually showing us quite the opposite. And the you know legitimate governments that are effectively ganging together to fight against this um, matter more than they did maybe two weeks ago. Yeah, again, I, I don't want to fall into the trap of analyzing, but just on a, a top level, it seems that Putin underestimated the resolve of the rest of the Western world that he kind of wanted to be a part of. He underestimated their resolve in, in banding together to fight an existential threat to individual sovereignty. He also seems to have overestimated how you know, well, his army would work in such an, an endeavor. And it'll be interesting to see how this gets solved. And that's really more of an international relations thing. It's like who gets to save face and how and what compromises are made and who's in the room when it happens. Yeah. And of course, when you look at kind of what coverage we're seeing from it, it's pretty clear that Ukraine is, despite their massive disadvantage in terms of military might is effectively winning the information war that's being broadcast out to the West. Whether or not that really will matter a great deal, who knows? But uh, I think it's it's important for us to have talked about this. I think we, because it was on our mind, and clearly transparency is not really what we're seeing here. We're just seeing information. And so in that sense, it doesn't seem to have much place in war here. But, you know, at least it's uh, it's a different way of experience. Well, there's a lot of noise with the signal. Actually, as far as social media goes, I think there's actually a lot more signal than noise, believe it or not, even though it's a war zone. But, you know, right now, we only know what people are transmitting, what people are doing on the run. And I think in the light of day when it's over, we'll probably find out it was so much more horrible than we could have possibly imagined. Right. I don't, you know, I kind of don't want to know how bad it was, but the international community will at some point do an accounting. And I mean, that's when it's going to be very sobering about just how bad this was minute to minute. Right. Maybe that's when we get some type of clarity and transparency about what happened during that's going to be awful to have to digest. Well, all we can do is hope for the best, send our best thoughts over there. Somebody can find some peace and somebody can find some safety. Yep. All right. Well, with that in mind, uh, hopefully we didn't bum everybody out today. We'll, but it's important for us to have talked about this, and we will switch off to a Twitter episode next uh, week, and uh, hopefully get uh, some of you to join us. So once again, tweet us at Sandune Podcast or email us talk at sandune.org. Stay safe, everyone.